Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, a controversial discussion document from the country's oldest medical school. The University of Otago has confirmed it could consider imposing caps on the number of Māori admissions to medical school, but has refused to give any more detail about the option. Many affected students aren't happy about it. Our student representatives have been trying to get a meeting with her and she's continued to deny us a chance to voice our concerns and to ask our questions. really creates a feeling of mistrust between us. And nor is the man who spent more than a year helping to design these pathways, Professor Peter Crampton, a former dean of the medical school who's now Professor of Public Health at Otago's Centre of Hauora Māori. At the current rate, even, even though we, you know, we got 60-plus Māori students into medicine this year, uh, it's still 40 or 50 years to get anywhere near parity in the workforce. But the fact remains, students whose marks are above and beyond the academic threshold for medical school are missing out on placements. So how do we balance a meritocratic approach to one of the most competitive courses in the country with making sure our health workforce represents the breadth and depth of Aotearoa? First off, a few facts and figures. There is a large discrepancy in life expectancy between Pākehā and Māori and Pacific people. Figures from 2013 show Pākehā men and women live on average about seven years longer than Māori and about six years longer than Pacifica. Māori make up about 16% of New Zealand's population, Pacifica are about 8%, yet only about 3.5% of doctors in New Zealand are Māori, and only about 1.8% are Pacifica. And while these numbers have improved in recent years, they're not all that different to back in 1997. Now, you want your medical workforce to be representative of your country's demographics for pretty obvious reasons, which we'll get into in a sec. So to help expedite that, the universities of Auckland and Otago created what are essentially affirmative entry programmes. Professor Peter Grampton was one of the architects of Otago's policy. It comes back to a logic. Low-income groups or poor communities suffer considerably poorer health outcomes than well-off communities. Uh, And what I say to students is that poor health is bolted onto poverty. So if you know where poverty is, you'll find poor health. The health outcomes for Māori are considerably poorer than the health outcomes for New Zealand European. And the health outcomes for Pacific are similarly poor. So we know that, and and that's been clear for a very long time. So starting there, we then say, well, what can we do about that? And from a university perspective, how can we contribute positively to making a better future? Students who are drawn out of communities uh, which might be rural or might be low socioeconomic or might be Māori or might be Pacific are more likely to end up serving the needs of those communities wherever they are in the system. Uh, And, of course, the system needs to be populated by Māori, Pacific and other sorts of students throughout everywhere you go, whatever the touch point is, people need to be confident that that part of the system will be influenced by and populated by people who look, think and like them and have similar backgrounds to them. Entry into medical school is a complicated process and it varies a little between Otago and Auckland. We're focusing here on Otago. Students hoping to be doctors study health science in their first year of university. This is a full-year course, and they have to pass all their papers at the first attempt with a minimum grade of 70% in each, though there's a tiny bit of wriggle room. 
They then have to sit and pass a clinical aptitude test known as UCAT, which helps assess more intangible elements like problem solving, how you respond in difficult situations and so on. And finally, students undergo interviews. Their performance in these three areas dictates whether they get into med school. But there are also pathways specifically for Māori and Pacific students, as well as other underrepresented demographics like rural students and refugees. Now, they still have to meet that grade point average, which has been in place for many years. The trouble is medicine is such a competitive course that if you were admitting students only on the basis of highest GPA, you'd end up with a very homogenous workforce. The preoccupation with grades and marks is a default assumption people make about eligibility to enter health professional training is an artefact of the system. It actually bears very little relationship to the actual requirements for training health professionals. GPAs, or grade point average, or marks, uh, provide a very convenient and cheap way of selecting students into a program. And, of course... That way of selecting students into a program produces a very particular set of outcomes. Uh, and, and, the, and the outcomes can be seen in the fact that the medical profession right now in the year 2020 is absolutely strongly dominated by uh, New Zealand European doctors mm. because of the way that the medical schools have selected in and trained students. There are a whole bunch of different ways of selecting students into health programs. No process is perfect. They're they're all approximations of what we are trying to achieve. At Otago, under the Mirror on Society policy, we've got five affirmative pathways, and they're different. Māori is one. Pacific, Indigenous Pacific is another. Rural background is the third. Low socioeconomic fourth, and refugee background is the fifth. And each of those five pathways has uh, explicit criteria associated with it in order for a student or candidate to be eligible to apply in that category. And what we say is that uh, a basic educational grade must be achieved in order to be eligible. And if that grade is achieved, then you are eligible to to enter the program through that pathway. The University of Otago says last year 51% of its second-year medical school placements went to people in these categories. Between 2012, when the Mirror on Society policy was being developed, and 2016, there was a 124% increase in Māori students and a 121% increase in Pacific students. So why are these separate pathways necessary? Elena Curtis is a public health physician and an associate professor at the University of Auckland. We know from studies internationally that when you put a doctor who's of a different ethnicity with a patient who's of a different ethnicity and there's some discordance between the provider-patient or the doctor-patient sort of relationship, you have lower communication, there's lower trust, there's less satisfaction for the patient, and that all impacts on differential health outcomes. It can be simple as decisions in what the doctor's going to refer for or what the health professional is going to decide or what treatment that they might think is the most suitable. 
these things get affected by this difference, this ethnic discordance. And it's hypothesized basically that that has an impact on the quality of the healthcare interaction, but also has an impact on the decisions made by the clinician. And that can have an impact on how fast you get referred to services and how fast you get put to and through healthcare services. If there's a bias in there, which has been hypothesized that it is and it's sort of been looked at, there's going to be a bias in the outcome. And that is what we think is happening here for not just Māori and Pacific, but most Indigenous and people of colour um, around the world. So there's been a lot of research that has looked um, at this dynamic. That's just one aspect of it. It's also really important, actually, just in terms of Māori development, Pacific development in general, when you can have a level of mobility into health professional pathways, you get the benefit economically, not just for the individual, but for their family and for their communities. You also grow leaders that can actually have access to more levels of making decisions that can influence how healthcare services are set up, that can influence access, that can influence all the things we need to be influencing to address um, ethnic health inequities. Even the Director General of Health, Dr Ashley Bloomfield, has thoughts on the benefits of a diverse medical workforce. There's no better example of this than actually over the last four weeks in Auckland where we have seen the, um, it's been actually quite eye-opening, the importance of the um, Māori and Pacific health professionals and, and providers in engaging with these communities who have been the ones that have had um, COVID-19 that have been part of this outbreak and how successfully they have been able to work with those communities to not only meet their needs, but to identify the contacts, both close and casual, to actually help contain the outbreak. This might seem a bit counterintuitive at first, particularly to Pākehā. You might be thinking to yourself, I really couldn't care less about the ethnicity or cultural background of the doctor who's treating me, so long as they know what they are doing. And it's perfectly understandable and perfectly okay to feel that way, but... That doesn't mean your experience is everyone's experience. Being a medical doctor, you train and you don't ever think you're going to go to work and that you're going to be an arsehole to your patients. That's not how you, that's not how you're trained and that's not what you think you're going to be. But all of us have to actually reflect on our clinical practice. And there are sometimes you get things wrong, assumptions that you make about patients when you shouldn't. There are stereotypes and possibly prejudice in all of our approaches, actually. A good self-reflective culturally safe doctor or health professional will actually be aware that that's most likely to be happening at some point, be thinking about the trigger points for themselves and self-reflect on that and look out for it and monitor themselves basically to ensure that it's not happening. But yeah, we just know that that there is bias. It happens. It's part of that clinical environment. We shouldn't be shy from talking about it. Dr Curtis says a helpful way to conceptualise how to create a representative health sector is to think about it a bit like a pipeline. When you have racism and bias in the secondary education sector that produces differential outcomes for Māori and Pacific students, which is currently the case in New Zealand, we don't have a supply chain to that pipeline. We have students at year 13 who are not university ready, unfortunately, who have not received the benefit of an education that gives them the rank scores that they need to get into the programmes that are the stepping stones toward medicine or, or any other health profession. They don't have the right subjects to get them to where they needed to get to, to in order to get to a health professional program. So we have to do a number of interventions to address that, because if we don't, we're going to accept that we don't have any supply of Māori and Pacific 
uh, students to train up as health professionals. So what we're doing at this point in terms of setting up entry pathways, which are equity-based, social justice-agended pathways, basically allowing Māori and Pacific students in using different criteria, essentially, in terms of how we allow them into the, the equity entry pathway. Um, if we don't have that, we won't be able to have anyone to train. And then we would be accepting a half workforce that has no Māori and Pacific in it, or very, very few. So I went to a school in Christchurch, right? And a lot of people who went to, to my school were the children of doctors and had it in their minds from when they were like five years old that they wanted to be doctors. So their parents had their institutional knowledge of how you go about this. And what you study at high school, it's actually a really big part of it, isn't it? Like there, there were kids who were sort of fourth yep. form and they knew exactly mm. what they had to do. They had to take three sciences, maths yep. is a benefit, English is a benefit. Medicine is not the kind of thing that you can sort of just decide at the end of seventh form that you want to do, is it? Absolutely. And you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> so... So when you said fourth form, you know how you were in fourth form, that's exactly the point that you must reach out to the Māori and Pacific students and make sure they understand those subject choices because we don't have – who has a doctor in their whānau? <laughs> like, most of us are first in family that went through medicine. So when, when we recruit, we actually – we've got to get in there now at year 10 because it's at year 10 that you make the subject choices. So. We have a number of Māori and Pacific students come to us at year 13 at the time of admission. I've always wanted to be a doctor. And then you look at them and you're like, oh, you've got no sciences. What happened if you, have you been dreaming of being a doctor? What happened? Oh, well, this, nobody told me I needed that, that subject. Or I've just got maybe one science and that you haven't, you know, you've got big gaps. Mm. Um, sometimes students might have wanted to have become a health professional. Careers advisors have told them, don't bother, it's too hard or you're not cut up for that. We still have these stories even today, which I just find so sad that our potential and our abilities are judged in a way that, you know, we, we're not good enough for medicine or we're not good enough for our professional pathway. Were you the first doctor in your family? Uh, absolutely, yes. How did that feel when you graduated? It's amazing. I mean, I think... Well, I was 10 years old when I decided I wanted to do medicine and I was a little Māori girl in West Auckland, probably with, with a fairly very connected, culturally connected father. I come from Tauru, like three, three hours away, but still had the privilege of the, you know, knowing my hapu and whānau and, and iwi. When I was 10, I could look around and I knew that Māori were getting a, an unfair deal, that we weren't treated the same, that I saw the racism around me. And so at 10, weirdly, and naively, in my little 10-year-old brain, I thought I'd do something that would piss the parkers off because they wouldn't ever expect me to be a doctor. So at 10, I decided I would do that. And I did that as a social justice statement, not because I'm this raving racist person. I was only 10. But in my mind now, it was a reaction to a society that I could see was not fair for my people. So I wanted to do something that would break the stereotype break the prejudice and just proves them wrong, whoever they were, that makes sense. Do you think it was more difficult f for you? My story is one of both privilege and disadvantage. Just being Māori in and of itself is a disadvantage in New Zealand in terms of educational outcomes. But at the same time, I had a privilege to go to a high school, a Catholic girls' high school on the, on the shore. But, you know, for me there, and, and it's because I'd made this decision early, I knew I had to take some sciences, but... I also really wanted to take Te Reo Māori 
And at that school, I had to take it by correspondence and got very, you know, actually quite minimal support academically for that. And that bombed my marks out. And if I hadn't, you know, when I actually was like an A-plus student and had a terrible exam, and this one-off thing could have stopped me getting to medicine, if you know what I mean, yeah. not having all the science subjects I needed. But I'm quite old, and it was back in the day where you went straight through to medicine. And I think having this one year where you have to compete against so many people to get in is also a different playing field for many of the students today. So every student who goes through medicine, it's a huge achievement. There's so much they have to do and achieve, and it's a really intense program. And so we should be, yes, we want to celebrate everyone, but yeah, I don't see Māori Pacific graduating as, as being unfair to others in New Zealand. It's, it's a good thing. It's something we should all want and, and celebrate, not challenge. But it's also true that there are students who have excellent GPA scores on the precipice of med school who miss out. And some of those people might think they missed out because of their ethnicity, because they're Pākehā or Asian or Middle Eastern or born in the city or to a wealthy family. And in a purely literal sense, is there actually an element of truth to that? I certainly understand and, I, and I'm confronted this, with this on a personal level by students all the time, absolutely all the time, because of my work. But keep in mind when we're having this discussion that we are expanding huge amounts of taxpayers' money. And, and, and of course, we are obliged to ask ourselves, to what end? To what end are we investing taxpayers' money? And we've referenced our investment of collective money government funding to the needs, the health needs of communities. That's why we're doing it. That's why we're here. That's our purpose. And that's what we should be held accountable for. We're not investing that very large amount of funding in, in order to, to meet the career aspirations of sections of our community. That's not our purpose. We do do that, of course, in, in many respects in a university. But in, in limited entry health programs, our primary responsibility is to our communities and their health needs. So we understand, and as I said before, I'm confronted with this all the time with, with, with disappointed students. We understand that people set their hearts on something and, and not everyone makes it. That is the nature of limited entry programmes. That's quite striking, actually, what you mentioned. I hadn't re previously considered that. It's sort of like a me versus we situation, isn't it? An individual's wish to be a doctor versus a society's wish to have a medical force that represents that society. You just nailed it. That is correct. Yeah. The interesting thing here, I suppose, and Dr. Rhys-Jones has sort of spoken out about this as well, is the idea that in an ideal world, we wouldn't need this programme, but we're not in an ideal world. Look, uh, I mean, you make that comment in... September 2020, in the middle of the Black Lives Movement, you know, racism is the defining element in the U.S. national conversation at the moment. Uh, it's the defining component of so many of New Zealand's national conversations. It is completely there in front of us, and you know, we get to decide what sort of society we want to be in. I feel completely and utterly positive about New Zealand's journey into the future. The health workforce is just a part of that. And we have this opportunity to do something really good for the future right now, that we, something that we know will positively change the future. 
the idea that we, we might have to soft pedal on that or backtrack or rethink it because it's successful, to me, is unthinkable. Look, I welcome health workforce discussions. They're necessary, and we must be having them all the time, specifically in reference to the affirmative policies that we have. Those are really good discussions to have. And in no way am I saying that we shouldn't be debating or discussing this. Uh, the CAPS proposal, and it was a proposal, which came, from my point of view at least, uh, a little bit out of the blue, as far as I can tell, not driven off data or workforce analysis or the needs of the community. And I would say, if we're going to have that discussion about CAPS, which is a good discussion to have, let's anchor that discussion in health needs, in the health workforce data, and assessment of what future needs are, and derive our numbers from that. What the modelling tells us is that at the current rate of production of Māori doctors, for example, uh, even though it's impressively increased on previous recruitment of Māori students into medical school, but at the current rate, even, even though we, you know, we've got 60-plus Māori students into medicine this year, uh, it's still 40 or 50 years to get anywhere near parity in the workforce, in the medical workforce. Uh, so when there's a suggestion that we're doing a bit too well and we need to put the brakes on, of course that will prompt reactions. Nevertheless, this is a good discussion to have. And I'll just say it again, it needs to be driven off the date. Now, some important stuff here from Otago University's perspective. It says, while it is looking at the makeup of medical classes in the future, these are not formal conversations or proposals, they're just discussions, and these sorts of discussions are common in any organisation of such a size. It says, criticism of the lack of involvement of Māori and Pacifica in this discussion is unwarranted, as Māori and Pacific voices were present at that meeting. The university says no formal proposals to cap the number of Māori or Pacific Pathway students have been tabled, and as an aside, any cap, even if it were proposed, may well run into human rights or Treaty of Waitangi issues. It says it is and will remain committed to the Mirror on Society policy and takes its responsibilities seriously in helping to nurture a demographically diverse workforce. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell and Mark Jennings. And thanks to Dr. Elena Curtis and Professor Peter Crampton. Matewa. Te